as a church, we have been working our way through the gospel, the biography that we call John. And I'll invite you to turn to John chapter 4, where that's where we're uh, picking up this morning. In John 4, this is, I think, the uh, 13th uh, message in this series uh, that's going to take us a while. We're going to hope we're, our aim is to finish John chapter 4 uh, just before Easter this year. Then we'll take a little break and we'll come back uh, to John uh, again and again. But just to recap where we've been, I know some of you have been here for maybe all of those uh, uh, previous 12 messages. Some of you uh, not, but um, just to recap for us, John is a, one of the four Greco-Roman biographies that we have of Jesus. And it's written to convince us who Jesus is, and it's written more than just to convince us about the identity of Jesus and, and to show us what he's like. It's meant to inspire faith in us, that we're meant to read John, and John wrote this gospel so that we would be inspired to put our trust and our confidence, our hope in Jesus as um, our Lord, as someone that we would follow, as someone who whom we would give our life to, from whom we would receive grace, from whom we would receive mercy, from whom we would receive life, from whom we would receive light. And so we began in Advent in John chapter 1, which is this famous prologue where John um, kind of lays out for us right from the beginning who he believed Jesus to be in these very poetic words. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, that, that uh, the word then became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, glory as from the one, and the one son of the father, full of grace and truth, and so Jesus has come, John says, and he's lived among us, and he's revealed God to us, and he's he, he, he lived in such a way that he could say he was full of grace and full of truth. And that as they looked at Jesus, they saw the glory of God. And that they received from Jesus grace upon grace upon grace. That Jesus just, just poured out again and again and again a measure of grace exactly what they needed. So we saw um, in the end of John chapter 1. We get introduced to John the Baptizer, who's not John the author of this, um, of this gospel. John the Baptist, um, who came to prepare the way for Jesus, who came uh, as a, a fulfiller of prophecy, as the, as the prophet who would come before uh, the Messiah, the Christ. And so uh, John was resolute in his confession that he was not the Christ. Christ. He was not the point. He was, he was there just to point to Jesus. We went into John chapter, two, uh, John chapter 2, and we saw the first sign. John is really, this gospel is really organized around seven signs that Jesus performs to reveal the glory, to show us something more about who he is than just that he has powers to work miracles. That it's, it, sh it's, it shows us something of his glory, something of, of who he is. And so the first sign was that Jesus turned water at a wedding into wine. That, that Jesus, uh, we saw there that Jesus came to provide fullness of joy. 
to make our hearts glad, to make our hearts sing. That he came um, to uh, allow a, a true, real and true celebration to continue in our hearts. And we saw how from there he went to Jerusalem and into the temple and he cleansed the temple. That's the sermon where I'll be known as for coming out as being in favor of the sacrifice of cats over lambs. And I still stand by that, by the way. No one's convinced me otherwise. Um, but Jesus came to, and, and they said, well, what sign do you have to, to, to show this authority that you're having over the temple? And Jesus says, sorry, I am the temple. I don't just have authority over the temple. I am the temple. I, and, and that we saw how Jesus says that the temple was meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. That Jesus is always uh, interested in bringing the outsider and bringing them in. That, that those who are far from God would have a place to come to God through him. And that he's come to replace that temple. That he now is the place where, where we can meet with God. And through whom we can meet with God. And have our sins forgiven. And have um, friendship with God restored. John chapter 3 then begins the first of Jesus' interactions with people. That uh, we've, he's gonna, there's a series of, of more extended conversations now that are coming. In uh, John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader. He was a ruler of Israel. He was a teacher. He was a highly respected man, one of the, one of the most respected men in all of Israel. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he's, he's interested. He says, Jesus, I know you're a teacher, and I know you're sent from God because, because of these signs that you're doing, but who are you? What are you all about? And Jesus says to him, you need to actually be born again, that you, you may think you have it all together, but... Um, as, a, as a teacher, as a scholar, as someone who's studied the Bible, as someone who's studied the Old Testament, but you actually don't even have the first step, and you need to be born again, that you need a, 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 a renewal of life in, your, in, in the very center, in the very root of who you are, the very core of who you are needs to be reborn, remade, and I've come to do that, Jesus says. We've talked about John 3 has, a, of course, John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We talked about how love and judgment, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. But at the same time, he's saying, those who don't believe in the son are under judgment already, are already condemned. He says, those who don't receive Jesus um, are under the wrath of God already, John chapter 3 says. So we looked for a week there on how um, the relationship between God's love and his judgment and how actually they're not opposed to each other, but actually they're, they're, that God stands in opposition to those things that, that would destroy the people he loves. That, that sin in your life is, is something that's actually destroying who you're made to be. And God stands opposed to that. And he's come to rescue you out of it. He's come to save you out of that judgment, out of that condemnation, out of his wrath. That's why, that's why Jesus came. To, to take away the judgment. But if we would not receive him, there is only two ways. You either receive him or you don't. All right. So now we come to another famous interaction that Jesus has with another person. Um, this, this is known uh, as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So let's read John chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 15 verses. And we're going to finish up the story with the woman in the well next week. So, John chapter 4, the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, um, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. 
Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, that's when Jesus learned of this, he left Judea in the south and went back once more to Galilee in the north. That's where Jesus grew up, in Galilee. Nazareth was in Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, so about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I, don't, I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is the word of God. All right, so we have this famous interaction of the, with a Samaritan woman at the well. And what I, I want to organize some of the thoughts um, that and draw out of this passage around these three ideas. That first of all, that or over all of them is that Jesus is full of grace. That like John chapter one says that that he that that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and that we've received from him grace upon grace. So I want us to see that Jesus is full of grace and in in three particular ways, that Jesus is intentional, that Jesus is relational, and Jesus is invitational. So intentional, relational, and invitational. I worked hard at those N-A-L words at the end. There we go. Intentional, relational, invitational. So John chapter 3, first of all, intentional. I want us to see that Jesus in his grace is very intentional. He's purposeful. He's, He's doing things on purpose. Things aren't happening by accident here. All right, he's very intentional. And in that his, his intentionality, his, the reason he's doing things is, is, is his grace. It's, his, it's expressing that he's actually graceful. So John chapter 3 ended with, um, verse 34, 35 says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit to him without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hand. So, so John is giving us this great picture of Jesus that, that he's sent by God. That Jesus is here and the reason he's here is that he's been sent by God the Father. And that God the Father has given Jesus the Holy Spirit without limit, without measure. We talked about last week how the prophets or a rabbi, his name was Rabbi Aha. Remember that great name for a teacher? Rabbi Aha said that prophets in the Old Testament received the Holy Spirit 
just, in, just enough to fulfill the task that God had given them. Whereas now John is saying about Jesus that Jesus receives the Spirit without limit, without measure. That, that he's full of the Holy Spirit. So he's sent by God. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He speaks the word of God, it says. He's, the message that he has has come directly from God, the Father. And that all things are now placed into his hands, right? Which things? All the things are now placed into the hands of Jesus. So we have this glorious picture of Jesus, that, that he's the, the one sent by God, the one who's been given all things, the one who's totally full of the Holy Spirit, the one who, whom the Father loves. The Father loves the Son. And then chapter 4 begins with Jesus traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. But the way that John tells us that actually kind of raises some questions for me. The, the way in which John kind of, he's, he's giving more than a travel log. He says the Pharisees heard that John, Jesus was getting and baptizing more disciples than John, even though it wasn't Jesus, it was his disciples who were doing the baptism. So when the Lord learned of this, so when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus' following was bigger than John's, when he heard about the Pharisees learning of something, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So the Pharisees learned that Jesus' following is, has outgrown John. We actually knew that from last week in John 3, right? John, John's disciples got a little jealous, got a little nervous about, you know, Jesus' following surpassing John's. But now the Pharisees learn about that, and that prompted Jesus to leave Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and to head back up the north to Galilee. So what? why did Jesus leave and go to Judea? Well, we know from chapter 3, those verses I just read, right? It can't be fear. It's not that Jesus is afraid of the Pharisees. All things have been given into the hand of God, into Jesus' hands. He's been sent by God. He speaks the word of God. Right? So he's not going to be motivated by fear. So I have a, a, a couple of theories as to why Jesus would move from Jerusalem and, and Judea up to Galilee. One could be just timing, that that he knows, and, and all throughout John, Jesus talks about his hour, right? We talked about that at the, the wedding at Cana, where he turned water into wine. He said to Mary, my hour has not yet come. Je we'll, we'll, com we'll, we'll keep seeing Jesus referring to his hour in John, which he's talking about the time of his death, that, that he knew the time of his death. He knew how and when he was um, sent to die on the cross. And so it could be that Jesus knew that if he got into it with the Pharisees now, um, that he would set in motion the events that would lead to his death, and he knew that his hour had not yet come, that he had more work, he had more teaching to do. So it could be that. Um, it could be that the Pharisees would use the popularity of Jesus to um, somehow discredit John and say, well, yeah, John was just this passing fad. John was so 2014, right? Um, so John's, John's old news, and somehow put down John by saying, well, now it's, now it's Jesus, and, his, and Jesus' following will probably be a, a, a flash in the pan as well. Or maybe Jesus felt the compulsion of a divine appointment. Maybe he felt that he had to go through Samaria. Now, verse 4 is curious because it says he had to go through Samaria. 
like he, that it was a necessity. Well, it's true that we've got Judea, Samaria, Galilee. And so if you're going to go from Judea to Galilee, you'll go through Samaria. Except the Jews hated Samaritans. And so when they made that trip, they crossed the Jordan River. For you, it would be over here. And then went up and then went back uh, into Samaria. So they would, they would bypass, or into Galilee, so they would bypass Samaria so as not to have to interact with those stinking Samaritans, right? They hated them, and so they uh, avoid, avoided them. But Jesus, it says here, Jesus had to go through Samaria. It's like he had an appointment. It's like he knew that he had someone he had to meet in Samaria. So what I want us to see, so whatever the reason, whether it's his hour had not yet come, whether he's trying to somehow protect the reputation of John, or whether he's keeping an appointment with a Samaritan woman at the well, all of those reasons are motivated. Jesus is acting intentionally, and he's motivated by grace. He wants, it's grace that, that would motivate his hour to come and die for our sins. It's grace that would, that would want to esteem John and, and his ministry and, and show how it's actually part of the story that leads to Jesus. And it's grace that meets this woman at the well. That, that where we'll see next week how Jesus is meeting her in order to, to gain her worship, in order to see her saved, in order to see her lifted up, in order to see her enfolded infl- into the, the family of God. And so... All things are in Jesus' hands. And so he's acting very intentionally. And all of those reasons are, are he's full of grace. Now there's many, there's always many purposes in Jesus' work, even today. But all of his purposes, all of his motivations in your life are gracious. Everything that's going on in your life is actually motivated by grace. By grace alone. We need to believe that. We need to hold on to that. John Piper says, um, that God is never doing just one thing in what he does with us. He's always doing thousands of things that we cannot see. There's all, you know, there, we, sometimes we're like, what's the reason that this is happening in my life? And the reality is there's probably not one reason. There's probably a thousand reasons. And the, and the message of Jesus is that all of those reasons are actually motivated by grace, the grace of God coming into our life. That he, 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 he means to pour out his grace and his love into our life through whatever it is that's going on in our life. Now, to be honest, many of those reasons, many of those things, are, that requires a great faith of us because we're like, I, I can't see how anything good comes from this situation. I don't see how, how God could be, how this could be gracious. So it takes some grace. It takes faith for us to believe that. But I want us to see that Jesus is very intentional in how he, what he does even little movements like going from Judea to Samaria or to, to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria to keep an appointment. Jesus, secondly, is not only intentional, he's also relational. We'll see next week how relentless Jesus is with this woman and extending grace to her. I think actually that this uh, is John's version of the prodigal son. I think that this story is John's version of the prodigal son. And so in Luke 15, you know that famous parable that Jesus tells of 
of the of the prodigal son, right? Who who goes off and says to his dad, "I wish you were dead. Give me your inheritance. Give me your money." He goes off and 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 squanders it, and 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 is brought back as he returns to the father. He's brought back in in this great act of of grace and love and mercy. Right before that, in Luke's gospel, it says that Jesus uh, was eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. And he was kind of getting in trouble that he was looked down on by the religious folk that uh, he was spending time with sinful people. And Jesus says, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. And he tells three parables, and the prodigal son is one of them. I think this is the parallel. I think this is John's version of that, that Jesus, not that this is a parable. I think this actually happened. Um, but this is John's version of the prodigal son, that, that here he shares a drinking cup with a sinful woman. The key to understanding the relationship between Jesus and this woman is verse 9. It says, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. I've alluded to that already. Here's why. Here's the history behind that. One of my uh, commentaries, Don Carson, his commentary on John, gives the background. After the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722 B.C., so 722 years before Jesus, uh, the Assyrian Empire came to the northern kingdom of Israel. So remember, after David, after Solomon, the, the kingdom of Israel split into two. And there was uh, Judah in the south. Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes. And there was the ten tribes in the north, the northern kingdom, which is sometimes referred to as Samaria, because Samaria was their capital. So Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So they deported all the Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion. After the exile, Jews returning to their homelands, the remains of the southern kingdom viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various unacceptable elements. About 400 B.C., the Samaritans erected a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. We'll read about that. She refers to that next week. So Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He goes on, Carson goes on, he says that he, th- he, he thinks that John intends to have a contrast between Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and this woman at the well in John chapter 4. He says this, he, Nicodemus, was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable only of folk religion. He was a man, a Jew, a ruler. She was a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. And both needed Jesus. And so this woman is taken aback that Jesus would say to her, can you get me a drink? Can, I, can you get me a drink of water from this well? She's taken aback because of, there's ethnic issues and there's racial issues and there's religious issues. And Jews saw Samaritans as ceremonially, uh, religiously unclean, as ra- racially impure, as religiously ignorant. And they hated them. It's, you know, it's, it's like, you know, in the south, in the earlier part of last century, in the southern United States, and 
and buildings and public spaces would have you know, two water fountains, the white and the colored. Right? How, how, how full of hate do you have to be to, to, to ingrain that prejudice and that, that discrimination into your plumbing system? Here the well is marked Samaritan. And Jesus says, can you get me a drink? Can you get me a drink? Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well at noon. And a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, can you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? He, he goes through Samaria, and he sends his disciples on to buy some food, non-kosher food, prepared by unclean Samaritans. So he's got a, he's making a statement there. And he's, he doesn't keep a few of his disciples behind. He wants to make sure he's alone. So he sends them all, and he goes and he literally sits on the well. He makes himself unavoidable, and he asks a woman that he knows to be unclean, impure, disrep- disreputable, he asks her for a drink. From her bucket, from her cup. You see, Jesus here is pursuing relationship with her. He's breaking down every possible taboo. He gets alone. He sits on a well. He speaks to her, to a Samaritan, to a woman. A woman he knows is has a reputation. And he asks her for a drink from her bucket. We have seen his glory. Glory the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received. We who are proud, angry, critical, lustful, greedy, lazy, fearful, unrelational, we have all received grace upon grace. This morning, Jesus would mean for you to feel relationally received by him. of his grace, he would mean for you, whoever you are, to feel relationally perceived by him. Jesus is intentional, he's relational, and he's invitational. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and how can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, Jesus, she raises the barrier, right? She says, you're not supposed to talk to me, and he just ignores it. He's already broken all the barriers down. He's already ignored the taboos. And so he just says, you know what? I have a gift for you. I have a gift for you. Verse 11. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? See, again, she's like Nicodemus. Remember when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says, I don't know any mummies with tummies big enough to, for me to crawl back into. Right? He gets all uh, literal. And, she, and Jesus says, uh, you need, I, I can give you living water. And she's like, where's your bucket? You don't have a bucket. Missing the point. Right? Missing the point. Just like Nicodemus did. We're blind to the, so often we're blind to the blessings and truths that that God has for us, right? We just miss them. 
We don't see it. We don't understand what he's talking about. Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says to this woman, he says, you're thirsty. You are deeply, deeply thirsty. You have a thirst that cannot be quenched. Because when you drink this water, you're going to be, when you drink the water of this world, you're going to become thirsty again. But he says, I have a water. I have water, of course, is a, is a symbol of life. Because in a desert culture, water is your life. That without water, you will die. And he says, you're thirsty. You have a soul craving that you cannot satisfy. He says, it's like trying to, to quench your thirst by drinking maple syrup. Right? We all love maple syrup. And it's a liquid. But if you're thirsty, maple syrup's not going to do the job. It may taste sweet for a moment, but it doesn't quench your thirst. You're trying to satisfy your thirst by drinking maple syrup. And Jesus says, I have living water. I, I have, this water is life. This water is eternal life, which doesn't mean that it's just eternal and that it lasts forever. He's saying, my, this, water, this water is eternal life and, and it's a quality of life. It's, it's life to the full. It's life to the best. Life as it was meant to be. I've got it. And not only is it a well, not only is it a cistern, a, a pot of water, it's a spring. It springs up, which means it's persistent. It never stops. It just keeps on flowing. This spring of water. He says, you're thirsty. You're thirsty. We're all thirsty. We're thirsty for purpose. We need to have meaning in our life. We need to know that our life counts for something, right? We, we need to know that there's a purpose behind our existence, that we don't just, we're not just an accident. We're not just a flurry of activity and then poof, we're gone. And without, friends, without a creator who's made us on purpose, we are just an accident. And there is no basis for meaning in our life. There's no basis for purpose in our life without a relationship with the God who made us. We're thirsty for purpose. We're thirsty for love. We need to be loved by someone who's available, by someone who's wise, by someone who accepts us. We need to be loved by someone who is patient. We need to be loved by someone who, who, who loves to welcome us, who is committed to us and committed to our growth and our well-being. We need to be loved by someone like that. We need perfect love or we will be dysfunctional. Jesus says you're thirsty for purpose. You're thirsty for love. You're, you're thirsty for a piece of your conscience. We all struggle with guilt. We all carry secrets in our hearts that, that we know that cause shame on us. We're like, and Jesus says, I've come to give you living water to quench your thirst. And he draws a distinction between um, his water, which is a spring uh, that, that never stops flowing. And in, in, in a well like Jacob's well, the, the well is actually a cistern. It's not, it's not like a, um, a hole that's dug down until it, it reaches water that really never runs out. It's, it's just a big cistern that Jacob would have dug that collects rainwater that often would go dry if there wasn't enough rain. And a well 
you know, can be filled in. You could fill in that well. You could just shovel enough dirt and fill it in. You can contaminate that well. The water can get disgusting, can get contaminated. But Jesus says his water is a spring. It's persistent. It never goes out. You throw some dirt on a spring, it'll just wash it away. You try to block up a spring, the spring will find another way. His, his, his life, his eternal life, his, his life in you is a spring that cannot be blocked, cannot, cannot be built over, cannot be contaminated, cannot be stopped. His life in you is persistent. You know, you can still throw lots of junk in it, and we all do, right? But it just persistently comes and persistently flows and consistently and persistently washes away all the junk that you try to throw of it. So how do you receive? Jesus is invitational. How do you receive this living water? How do you receive it? It's unfortunately for most of us, it's too simple. It's too easy for most of us. Someone said once, you, all you need is nothing and most of us don't have it. Right? John, John 4.10, Jesus, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 14, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. It's a gift. It's a gift. Wisdom cannot find it. Power will not obtain it. Money cannot buy it. Goodness cannot earn it. It's a gift. It's just a gift. And so it means receiving, receiving Jesus right into the very center of your life. Given you, give to you a spring of living water that will walk, that his life in you will just and you can't stop it. And, and, and you'll go through hard times and, and, and it'll feel like there's no hope, but hope will come if you do nothing. And, and, you, and maybe you'll go down a path where you're just disobeying him and you're bringing all kinds of junk into your life, but his, his persistence is his persistent life in you will fill up, will wash it away. good work that he's begun in you will be finished. The spring cannot be built over. So trust in him. Come to him with your thirst. Come to him for your thirst for deeper purpose. Come to him with your thirst for meaning in your life, for your guilty conscience, for your need to be loved. Come to him. And then, then follow him too. Let's be like, not only receive from Jesus, right? Jesus is Jesus and we're not. Let's receive from him, but also let's be like him. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to spend some time this week, spend some time today just thinking and, and to find someone to whom you can intentionally pursue relationship. Especially if they're different or from you or they seem to be alone. They seem to be lonely or different. Yeah, they're, they're, there's, society says there should be barriers between this person. Is there a way in which you can intentionally pursue relationship, build relationship with them? By the way, if you're like, I don't, I don't know anyone like that. I don't know who, who that would be. Could I, I'd encourage you.
you to consider being involved in our Meals Plus ministry because that's the heart of our Meals Plus ministry where we build relationships with people who are sick, bound to their home, with AIDS, stigmatized, hurting, lonely. The heart of that is a great place where we could have a place where So you may have someone you, you, you already know that, hey, I'm not supposed to be friends with this person. That's what society says. And you can intentionally and relationally pursue them to bring living water to their home. Speak words of kindness to them. And if you don't have, can't think of anyone, maybe, you'll, maybe that's God's way of calling you to consider this ministry that we've organized. That's really a beautiful expression of, of the great commission of faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have sent Jesus to us. We, we acknowledge, Father, that um, in many ways we see ourselves in this Samaritan woman. That, that there's nothing in us that would uh, lend ourselves to you. That, that would earn your attention and friend, kind, kindness and friendship. Um, there's nothing um, that makes us different or better than anyone else that that walks this planet and yet your grace has come into into our lives whether we receive that this morning or not you have spoken to us this morning and you are speaking to us and you are pursuing us relationally and you are um, giving us grace on top of grace on top of grace acceptance and kindness and love and meaning and purpose and forgiveness other wave after wave crashing on us and so father we come to simply receive that gift this morning receive the gift of your kindness and the gift of your love and friendship and then ask lord that you would make us like jesus that we would be the kind of people who who don't just fill seats in a church building on a sunday morning but who then who go from this place to intentionally pursue people relationally with love and kindness especially those who are different, especially those who are lonely, especially those who are hurting. So, Father, my, our prayer simply is that you would, as we receive your gift this morning, that you would turn us into a gift to other people, to point other people to the living water we need. We pray this in the name of Jesus.